Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, there's breakfast in bed, but have you ever played magic in bed? Yeah, of course. I just did that the first time this morning, <laughs> trying to get some sealed prep in. It is pretty nice. I woke up, like got the mobile, propped my pillow up against the wall. It was a good experience. I would recommend. I really just love you experiencing things in society on like a two-year delay. <laughs> it's really fun for me to be like, oh, yes, I remember doing that for the first time, too. It's great. Yeah, a little trip down memory lane for you, a little new life experience for me. <laughs> yeah. How was uh, your sealed prep? So we're doing some sealed talk today because we've got, you know, we did have the arena championship qualifier last week, but that's not super relevant to perhaps our entire listener base. But there is the arena open coming up this week, which will be for, you know, $2,500. Anyone can enter. And uh, day one is going to be sealed, either best of one or best of three. So we thought, let's get in some sealed prep. Let's chat about sealed for Dominaria United. How was your sealed experience this week? It was good. It was brief, which I full disclosure, I have done, I think, a total of four sealed. But I literally played Magic every spare second I had for the podcast, including the fact that I have not listened to Come On Survivors yet, nor have I watched Whoa. the first episode of Survivor. I have been slammed. I was going to say, I was like, I'm, I guess Ben didn't really like the first episode or he didn't like the podcast because usually I get some kind of Discord message from you every week during uh, Survivor season. No, it has been dire straits this week. So I, every spare second has been Magic and it has been four seals. That's a lie. I also played nine holes of golf on Friday for my personal sanity. Yeah, look, these are the sacrifices. This is the dedication that we have here on Lords of Limited. And I played quite a bit of Sealed this week. I actually went mostly the Magic Online route, um, just because the payout for Sealed Prep on Arena is really bad. Building on the Arena client is kind of awkward, especially on, on mobile. You didn't open a Sealed Pool on mobile, did you? Oh, you better believe I opened a Sealed Pool on mobile and built on mobile. One of my oh, Sealed Pools during a Marching Man Day. Heck yeah. My goodness. I remember doing that for the SNC Open because um, I was out of town and didn't have a, a good laptop yet. That is a, that's a rough, wild ride there. Yeah, it was a trip. I was not happy. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be bringing you all of our sealed intel this week for Dominaria United. We've also got some exciting high stakes draft content for you as well. But before we get into all that good stuff, a few housekeeping things to take care of. First thing is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. And I think just under a whole umbrella, you know, we sometimes shout this out. We do have a website. So LordsOfLimited.com. Easy to remember. Boom. It's the name of the podcast.com. That is your one-stop shop for all of our content. So there's links to our streams there. More importantly, good stuff for you to get over at our website is some merch if you want. We don't we barely ever shout out our merch, but if you want Lords of Limited tees, hoodies coming up for fall, whatever, mugs. I'm sipping coffee out of my Lords of Limited mug right now. All that good stuff is available to you there. Um, we've got a tier list where Ben tirelessly put notes for every single card, including what I discovered savagely was that under Yosha declares war <laughs> under the F category, the note is don't put this card in your deck unless your name is Ethan Sachs, which I found out because uh, Twitch chat let me know about that, which honestly, I think that's a pretty good rule. I think that's a good rule of thumb there for uh, for listeners out there. And we also have links to, of course, all of our episodes. Um, if you want to go backlog any of that stuff and our new Lords Limited newsletter, the MTG Limited Digest, which is just an email every week that lets you know about all the limited content of the past week. So a lot of good stuff over at lordslimited.com. And of course, a link to our Patreon page. So if you want to support us, if you want to give back to the show, you can do so via lordslimited.com. That'll link you over to Patreon. You can select the tier that works for you. You know, if you just want access to the Discord, if you just want to help us out a little bit each week or moving on up the ranks all the way up to potentially monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben, whatever works for you over on the Patreon page, check that out. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we're welcoming Matthew, Tori, Jordan, Jacob, John, Dave, Ryan, Josh, Christopher, Jefferson, and Lionel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Really appreciate the love from the patrons each and every week. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related, including Dominaria United, Sealed, and Singles. I think this draft format is standing up. This is an all-timer. Can we call it now? Officially? We can officially call it an all-timer. I think certainly top five arena sets and potentially creeping into the top three. Yeah, and I think not GOAT status for me yet, but I feel like the public is on board with my initial inclination week one at this point in the format. 
So you might want to be picking up a box of DMU sealed or two or three or four. Who knows how much you draft <laughs> with friends? I don't know what your life's like in paper magic, but you better make sure you've got some Dominaria United sealed product for when you want to draft down the road. If you're a commander player, singles, getting back into that constructed grind to try to get onto the tournament scene. Maybe you need to pick up a few singles for one of your standard decks. Anything like that, Channel Fireball can hook you up. TCG player as well. If you've not heard the news, they are one and the same. In addition to that, there's CFB Pro where me, you, Alex, a bunch of pros are writing articles every week to help you get better at Magic and get better at Dominaria United specifically. So for anything that you're doing over there, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. Boom. So we had a high stakes event for ourselves this past week, Ben. The Lords versus Resources showdown for Dominaria United was on Monday. It was. Have you recovered? (laughs) I have recovered. It was pretty frustrating because I had a very good deck that just rolled over and did not give me good draws and don't want to blame luck totally. I mean, team drafts a very skill intensive format, but I drafted a banger of a deck and it did not beat BK's like pile of cards deck, which was pretty, pretty unfortunate. Yeah, I felt like it was it was weird. Usually these feel like big events to me. This one feels like as quickly as it came, it went, <laughs> you, you know, I don't know if you felt that way at all. We didn't really have a debrief and maybe that's part of it is that, you know, because of the nature of, of what happened, you know, BK was sick. Um, and so he bowed out after they resources crushed us five one um, in the second round. And uh, so after that, he was feeling sick. So he bowed out for round three and then Marshall bowed out. And then so Alex and uh, LSV played uh, their third round. But you and I then just battled our decks against each other. There wasn't the like usual Twitter buzz that we get uh, on behalf of CFB, which is you know totally fine. It was kind of last minute. But I don't know. It just felt uh, and certainly because perhaps we got rolled so hard. Um, it felt less, <laughs> uh, I don't know, less ceremonious than usual. And I will say. So during the event, we have a Google Doc where we will write down what we see from the other uh, opponents because we don't have the chance. Like if it was a paper team draft, you could talk to your teammates about what you saw. But so we have this Google Doc that we type up. And I saw after round one, Alex, you know, bemoaning that Marshall just had a busted deck and I was to Marshall's right. And so I, of course, immediately feel very responsible for having given Marshall <laughs> this busted deck. And to confirm, Marshall had a fantastic blue-black deck. Um, and then I went, so I went back and looked over my draft, which I felt like I had a hard draft. You know, I thought I was going to end up black-white, pivoted to a, a red-white deck with double-baired, which I, I thought was actually pretty darn good. I had some really close matches against Luis in round one, just couldn't quite beat his uh, Hanada that he had out in game one and game three. But I went back in the draft, and, and maybe we'll, we'll end up doing either maybe a YouTube video or a full podcast episode reviewing all the draft logs like we usually do. Um, but I went back and reviewed the draft, and I was not disappointed with how I drafted it all. I don't think that I like, I I was expecting to go back and be like, man, my bias probably towards black, white or whatever ended up having me ship Marshall this nutso blue black deck. But I went back and I was like, I don't think there was a way for me to stop him from getting this deck. I don't think I passed him anything particularly egregious. No, yeah, for sure. I watched your little review of that on stream. I will say the highlight of the team draft for me was against LSV. I had him down to three and was facing lethal on board and had to YOLO silver scrutiny for x equals three leaving up one mana hoping to hit a land and a lightning strike and cashed in on those three cards hit land lightning strike for lethal wow that's so sick good for you the highlight for me certainly was having yosha declares war in play against marshall and having him (laughs) shatter pause to read the card because i'm sure he'd never seen it before yeah that was pretty good too and i will say the other thing that felt weird about it It didn't feel team drafty to me in that like my mentality going in was just like, I'm going to try to draft the best deck I can because there's so many archetype possibilities. It didn't feel helpful to try to hate anything almost at all. Like there was just no way to know what anyone was doing because of how wide open the format is. Right. There was like so few cards that felt like they were on the no pass list, you know, like it didn't feel like you could hate or hook and cut or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so all of that stuff is available on uh, all five of those VODs, right? BK did not stream, but you, me, Alex, Marshall, and Luis all did. So you can go check those out on Twitch. And I believe Luis, as always, uh, he puts his up on the CFB YouTube channel. So you can check that out there. Another high stakes draft happened yesterday as well, Ben. And that is the Arena Championships. I didn't really even know this was happening. And I definitely <laughs> didn't know that it was going to have a draft round in it at the beginning. Yeah, I completely agree. Had the same experience. 
got on Twitter after a couple hours into our marching man rehearsal and was like round one draft of the arena championship. And I was like, whoa, didn't know that was this weekend, nor did I know there was draft. It was awesome. I had a coaching session scheduled for 1230 yesterday and then was watching the draft live on Twitch and then saw the person I was having the coaching session with in the chat box. And so then I messaged them on Discord. I was like, I see you watching. Can we just wait till the draft is over to start our session? (laughs) I just want to see how this deck ends up because person in the featured draft pod and the first featured drafter was, you know, member of our Discord, frequent guest on Limited Level Ups, member member of the Limited Level Ups Discord, often ranked high in the 17 Lands Trophy leaderboard is Jason Yeh, Jason ILTG. And so uh, getting to see their draft live was super awesome. Yes, completely agree. I was messaging Ben and I was like, and you could even hear Cedric, I think, in like the second or third pick was like, I would like to have Jason be the person I commentate on a draft for for the rest of my career because they're making <laughs> my job so easy because they kept selecting the cards immediately. There was this amazing pick later in the draft where they were selecting a land, which is a real like eat your veggies kind of pick when they would have loved to take an Urborg repossession. And so they immediately selected the land and then just kept mousing aggressively over the repossession. Like, I wish I could take this, but I can't was quality content yes the piling and the mousing over was premium from Jason. yeah right right because they also were sorting all their cards by curve then had the lands and then on the right of the lands was a very clear maybe pile because they were also putting stuff in their sideboard so yeah really just excellent sorting there for the viewership uh jason should be on a featured pod again and we're going to be checking it out here and i was thinking that i would have to go back to the vod for magic twitch and screenshot and make an imager post of all the packs and then jason just on twitter posted here's my 17 lands log of my arena championship draft so shout out to them shout out to 17 lands we've got a great round table for you here ben do you want to take a seat absolutely Okay, so pack one, pick one, kind of a stinky pack. You uh, sit down and you look at the following picks. There's a tribute to Urborg, one on a black instant target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If you kick it for one in a blue, it gets an additional minus one, minus one for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. There's also like a bite down in the pack, but you're never taking that over tribute at common. In terms of the uncommons, there's a tail swipe, but again, I don't think you're ever taking that over bite down. So then wait, what? I don't think tail swipe is better than bite down, my friend. Oh, I am certain that tail swipe is better than bite down. No, <laughs> he says certain. And then he asks me the question. Do you hear? Do you hear how I'm being set up for failure? It's amazing. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think creature size, like there are some spots where the creature sizing makes sense, but I would much rather spend an extra mana to have the reach out and hit something rather than have the fight. There, and again, there are some times where the plus and plus one also matters, but I do think that, uh, that on average, bite down is better than tail swipe. I just think the one mana versus two makes it so much more in favor of tail swipe. But like, but they're so much, they're very different effects. You can't just give the bump because one is cheaper. I agree, but I think the cheapness matters so much. Like going back to, I think last week I was talking about, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or just to you, but I think the number one way I'm winning games in the format is just interacting with my opponent on a mana advantage. Like either that or two for wanting them to death. Like one of those two things. Hmm. And I think tail swipe being so efficient is a huge boon. Like to the point where I think tail swipe pulls me into green and I could take or leave bite down almost, which is probably not right. Like that's a very big gap, but that's kind of how it is in my head. Interesting. Yeah. I Like I keep thinking that I'm getting fooled by it just being an uncommon. Like it was so long where I was like, ah, yes, tail swipe must be better than bite down. But the more I thought about it, the more I don't know. I, I think it's probably more deck dependent than anything, because I do feel like there are some times where my creatures aren't big enough like maybe in the yavamaya sojourner decks the tail swipes are better or maybe tail swipes are better in more aggressive decks because the plus one plus one matters i don't know or maybe it's just versatile enough it's tough tough for me to say but my my gut has has led me down the bite down path but anyway i don't care much about either of these cards certainly in comparison to tribute to urborg and then i guess there's also a czar ogen and scion of afrava three green white four four domain when it becomes tapped you put a plus one plus one counter on each of your creatures uh where their toughness is less than your domain and the rare is the shivan reef blue red pain land yeah i think this is kind of close for me between tail swipe and tribute if you take tail swipe you have a chance to wheel a green card in czar yavamaya sojourner or bite down whereas if you take tribute you're definitely not wheeling anything black I, I think i would probably still ultimately land on tribute but it's very close for me mm-hmm. yeah uh, jason landed on the tribute as well pack one pick two a real 
not, maybe not that spicy, but there are some options here. There's a lightning strike. One on a red instant deals three damage to any target. Um, there's a idyllic beachfront. That's the blue-white tap land. And there's probably nothing else at common in consideration. There's Academy Wall and Phyrexian Vivisector as filler, blue and black cards, respectively. In the uncommons, there's a Relic of Legends, three mana mana rock, taps to add a mana of any color, and tap an untapped legendary creature you control to add one mana of any color. I think... I just love this card because it blows people out <laughs> so much. Like they're they're just like, oh, they couldn't possibly have anything here, and you're like, surprise! I have a legend in play, or certainly the surprise with Zar or Rada is really fun too. There's a cult conscript in the uncommon slot, single black for the two one, and there's the battlefield tapped, and you can pay one in a black to return it to the battlefield tapped if a non skeleton creature you control died this turn. And Bortuck Bone Rattle, four black green for the four four with domain when it ETBs. If you cast it, you choose target creature in your graveyard. If it had mana value less than or equal to your domain, you put it into play. If not, you put it into your hand instead. Yeah, for me, this quickly boils down to Bartok Bone Rattle versus Lightning Strike. And I think the fact that you already have Tribute makes it a, a pretty clear Bortek for me. I mean, you could make a case for Cult Conscript if you love that style of deck, but I think that style of deck is just enough of a notch down from the two for ones grind you out style of deck that I think you're supposed to take the higher power card here in Bortek Bone Rattle. Makes me sad. I love me a Cult Conscript, but I think you are ultimately correct there. And Jason agrees, takes the Bortek Bone Rattle. Pack one, pick three, another doozy. Uh, to stay black, there's a Writhing Necromass, six and a black, five, five mana reduction for creatures in your graveyard, and it has Death Touch. There are two lands, Sunlit March, that Sunlit Marsh, that's black, white tapped, and Wooded Ridgeline, that's green, red tapped. There's a Floriferous Vine Wall, one and a green O2 Defender. When ETBs, you look at the top six cards of your library, you can reveal a land from them and put it into your hand and put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Moving on to the uncommons, there's Rulik Mons, Warren, Chief. This is the red, green, signpost, 3-3 three, three menace, attacks. Look at the top card. If it's a land, you can put it in play tapped. If not, you can make a 1-1 one, one goblin, etc. Not very good. And then Choking Miasma, one black, black sorcery. Kicker green, if the spell was kicked, you put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control, and then all creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. Yeah, this is, I think, a very interesting pick. There's three cards that are really standing out to me in the Ridgeline, the Necromass, and the Choking Miasma. I think I would ultimately, if I were left to my own devices, take Wooded Ridgeline here after picking up the Bortuk Bone Rattle, hoping to steer into Domain. The the half off-color Greenlands are so, so, so important to the Domain decks, and the Domain is frequently wanting to be base red or splash premium red uncommons that you get. But this is best of three, and I assume they're playing in pod. Do we know that? I believe they are playing in pod, yes. So then Choking Miasma goes up quite a bit in sideboard value, you know, like, uh -huh. whereas and if you're drafting a control deck, like your choking miasma is much more likely to be good against your opponents that didn't get to take the control cards you picked like so by drafting a control deck, it's more likely that the people you're playing against are playing more aggressive cards. So I could see taking choking miasma here in pod play. I haven't experienced that enough <laughs> recently in the last several years to, to know what's right there. Sure. I think in best of one, I would take wooded ridgeline, but I like I like the choking miasma pick here. Yeah, that's what Jason landed on. I think I personally would land on the Necromass. And I, it's interesting. I'm glad you talked through why you would take the Ridgeline because I was thinking to myself, if I'm going to take a land here, it would be Sunlit Marsh, right? Because I've got a Tribute. I've got a Bortuck Bone Rattle, two black cards. Sunlit Marsh touches black. But your point being that if you're doing the domain thing, you're likely to be base green. And if you're base green, the green lands that touch green and another color are so important. And so I do think that that makes a lot of sense and just shows how Ben's the wheels in Ben's head are turning in terms of what deck am I going to end up in? What's the deck I want to end up in? Thinking back to our last few episodes about the paths and the way you're you're going down these, these routes of drafts. And I, I want to shout out Choking Miasma and also you talking about blue-black control. I've actually started playing Choking Miasma main deck in blue-black decks specifically because blue-black has a very poor early game. It's often a control deck, and so having that mini sweeper is nice. And it has access to Vohar, Academy Wall, and even Rona as ways to loot it away when it's not useful or discard it to recur Rona from your graveyard. So it's not like a quote-unquote dead card in those uh, decks because you have ways to turn it into something useful at least. So I have liked main decking it there. Well, and also in those style of decks, you're two for one in your opponent so much that you can afford to have a dead card 
that shores up your worst matchup too, I think. Exactly. I think it's a really good way to think about it. You can be like, well, if this card is dead, that probably means I'm in a good spot if I have a good version of this deck. Yes. So Jason landed on Choking Miasma here, really liking pushing down this black green based or Sultai based with the, the blue from Tribute to Urborg. Pack one, pick four. No good black cards in sight. There's Toxic Abomination, which is just truly an abomination. Um, there's Garna, Blood Fist of Keld, but that's double red and, and more of an aggressive card. I think it just really boils down to what is the best card in this pack, and it's Impulse, which is one in a blue instant. Look at the top four cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. It's interesting that the rare in the pack is Carplusen Forest. That's the red-green pain land. But if it was Wooded Ridgeline, I wonder if Jason would take it here. Whoa, I have said that land wrong my entire life from when I was a kid. I always said Carpulsion Forest. <laughs> again, again, Ben experiencing things for the first time. <laughs> it's just happening before our very eyes. Yeah, I think if that's a red green tapped land that's got two basic land types, you slam it here. But since it's not, I think Impulse is a clear pick. It's the only card in the pack that really matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like some white cards maybe as well, but Jason's just so far away from a white deck right now. Those white cards are all filler as well. I mean, Cav- Mesa Cavalier, Samite Herbalist, and Joined Forces are not cards that, in my mind, matter to white decks. Agreed. Pack one, pick five. Another, I think, fairly straightforwardish pick. Uh, I think it boils down to two options for Jason. A Tangled Islet, that's the green-blue tap land, and Shadow Prophecy. Two in a black instant with domain. You look at the top X cards of your library where X equals your domain. You put two... <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to tell you the story. You put two of them into your hand uh, and the rest into your graveyard, and then you lose two life. I think I was playing a blue, I must have been playing a blue black deck because when I have both Impulse and Shadow Prophecy in my deck, I will sometimes just select one card from Shadow Prophecy. (laughs) (laughs) Just thinking that that's all I can do. That's a very Ben thing to do. And I have not done that yet. I know. I did that that the other day and my brother was in chat and he was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh no, this is so, that's such a bad bad move to make so uh just try and avoid that out there folks so anyway so shadow prophecy versus islet what do you like clear islet for me the lands are too premium especially after just picking up the impulse i mean i like a shadow prophecy but islet is very good here and like you have to feel great if you're jason right now right yeah i think you've so. taken you've largely taken the best card out of every pack maybe save for passing lightning strike pick two but i'm not even sure that that's true like bone rattle is very powerful you know the miasma pick there were other things i guess to take out of that pack too but like you haven't passed anything bad and you're gearing up to have a very strong control deck yeah i think so i like this spot quite a bit um pack one pick six there's a writhing necromass here there's also a floriferous vine wall there's also a shout out to lagamos hand of hatred the black red signpost that makes a 2-1 haste trample token each turn that then gets sacrificed but i assume that jason is too far away from that so vine wall versus necromass here any thoughts between these two i would take necromass here myself we're pretty deep in black i think necromass is what black wants to do largely mm-hmm. and there's another necromass we've already seen that could potentially wheel so if you wheel that one then like all of a sudden eerie soul tender is just absolute fire for you so i would take the necromass as a signal that the black deck that i would like to be drafting is potentially open and i think i would snap it up here yeah i think jason highly values the vine walls or at least values them in terms of uh, an engine or fuel for the lower end of these style of decks that i i think they are quite um familiar with drafting as we'll see sort of a ripple effect in pack one pick seven a choice between two good black cards eerie soul tender tuna black three one etbs do mill three and you can pay four and a black to exile it from your yard to return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand versus gibbering barricade two and a black two four defender and you can pay two and a black sack a creature to gain one life and draw a card whoa yeah did not know this pick was coming up next did not make it this far in the draft when i clicked through when we were gonna do this so yeah i think if you take necromass you slam soul tender here right and you're very happy about it and you're praying for that other necromass to wheel if you take the vine wall i do like the the gibbering barricade here because then all of a sudden you're opening up the outs to just like win the wing mantle chaplain sweepstakes which Mm -hmm. is also insanely powerful so i like the the vine wall into gibbering barricade gibbering barricade excuse me there fine here 
There you go. Yeah, I, I do too. And I think that's exactly the kind of like chain reaction thing that happens from taking the vine wall last pick is sort of changes the pick order. And I hadn't really even considered like maybe in pod I can just win that wing mantle chaplain lottery and go deep there. So I, I think that's that's pretty smart. And honestly, this this draft is a spicy meatball. I would encourage watching it or encourage looking at uh, the draft log here. We'll, we'll link it in our show notes as well. You can click ahead to the deck. And Jason ends up in a doozy of a draft after pack two pick one, Jaya Fiery Negotiator. The two red red Planeswalker upticks to make a, a one one with prowess. Down ticks in a, a number of ways to either give you card advantage or, or deal damage to a creature if you're attacking. And I was certain, as as they were specking on some Myria's Outriders in red as well, I was certain like, oh, well, Myria's Outriders will make it in the domain deck, but there's no way that they're going to main deck the Jaya. Well, I was wrong. Yeah, Jaya slotting right on in there. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, things did not work out great for Jason with this deck. I think some some bad matchups, some bad draws, etc. Um, but a really well-navigated draft, I think, um, showing some experience and preferences, but also just like a really smartly navigated draft. Yeah, love it. Awesome that we got to take a chance to sit down at the Arena Championships. Yeah, for sure. So thanks, Jason, for sharing that on Twitter. All right, let's move on to Sealed, Ben. Do we have to? <laughs> uh, I mean, we don't have to. What, what would you like to do? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Just wanted to dunk on Sealed for a second. I know, Sorry. I know. It's not great. And, and I do think that Dominaria Sealed specifically has gotten a lot of hate or there's some polarizing pools out there. I have not really experienced that myself. You know, I've done about maybe eight sealed pools, including the like play-ins and arena championship qualifier last weekend. But I haven't experienced anything where I felt like I have something totally unplayable. But I can definitely see, you know, if your lands don't line up, if your curve doesn't line up, if whatever you have, you know, the signpost cost reduction commons, but no ways to enable them. I could certainly see just some completely unfunctional pools that exist. Yes, I have also not experienced that, but again, only done four. So some general sealed pool advice, then we'll get into Dominaria United specifically. We've certainly out lined seal on the show before so we'll breeze through these points kind of quickly uh i think the first thing to do if you don't do this already i would encourage you to do so export your pool from arena to sealed deck tech and the way you do that is you just make some 40 card deck with your sealed pool go like you're gonna enter the event but don't actually just like you know save deck whatever and then where before you start your match then there's the picture of your deck box. And then above that, it says add to decks. So click add to decks then go to your decks, then highlight that deck, export it, right? So you have it as like a text box in your clipboard, then go to sealed deck.tech, import or upload whatever the green button is, paste that in the box, boom, you're good to go. And then you can mess with it in a much more civilized fashion. Yes, and huge upgrade if you're not on the 40 cards to make your deck. I, there was a point in time about a month ago where I was clicking all 90 cards from yes. my sealed pool in and realized when Twitch chat, someone said, hey, you don't have to do that. You just have to make a deck. And I was like, whoa. And then I've been doing that now. And several times people in Twitch chat are like, oh, my God, life hack. You only have to put 40 cards in to export to sealed.tech. Yeah. So if you're not on that wavelength, just make a deck and then like keep the 17 lands that it auto adds. Yeah. So I found that very helpful this past week as well, just because uh, there, as we'll talk about a little later, I think Dominar United, again, a small sample size with eight, about eight sealed pools is unique in that I have not found a lot of pools that offer multiple builds, but I have found pools where tweaks or like nuances are really interesting. And so just being able to visualize like, I've got my one through 15 cards I know I'm playing, and then I have about 15 cards that can go in slots 16 through 22 or 16 through 23. And being able to like tweak those easily was much more feasible in sealed deck.tech than on Arena. Yes, I completely agree and have had similar experiences building as well, like that finding the optimal build, especially if you have a good pool, is difficult. Yes, right. And just like eking out the tiniest little bits of value, like, oh, maybe I should stretch my, like you're towing the line between like a functional mana base and an absolute disaster when you're trying to like just eke out a little bit of value. Do I splash one more white card here or whatever? Do I stretch my mana slightly for this kicker cost, etc.? But we'll get into that a little later. So first thing I think you want to do, as always, sort by rarity, note the bombs. And again, like bombs is sort of a loose term in Dominar United, but note your your value cards or whatever, your powerful cards. And certainly if you get a Shouldred or Hanada or whatever, you know, you want to make, make sure that you're really thinking about that as you explore the rest of your pool. Well, and honestly, when you're sorting by rarity, I think 
it's very possible to open up poop soup rares yes. and still have a good pool in this format. Like you want to scan down the uncommon column as well, because I think that's where a lot of the heavy hitters are. I totally agree. And there is a very interesting thing that happens in these gold sets, but we haven't had gold sets like this or multicolor sets like this that aren't guild based because when you have the guild based one then you have a lot of commons that are multicolored and then honestly a lot of your pool gets dictated by what your multicolored cards are and so the fact that your signpost you've got two from each color but it's 10 total color pairs that's going to dictate less but then you might still be like well do i want to splash this one or oh i do actually have overlap of three like i opened up a sealed pool where i had ellis and then two errands and i was like oh maybe i'm gonna be black white here does my black white support this do i have to stretch to other colors what do my lands do which brings us to i think you want to sort by color and note mana fixing in lands first artifacts second with really the um mana rock the three mana rock i don't think that the the salvaged mana worker is great and sealed we'll talk about that later and then of course green do you have of course uh, the weather seed treaty is amazing the scout the wilderness gets a little better vine wall is like pseudo-ish fixing all that good stuff yeah i think the number of lands that you open is so important as far as being able to go deep on building your sealed pools like the, the pools that have six to eight lands versus the pools that have two to three lands are vastly different in terms of options. Totally agree. I totally agree with that. You want to separate the cards, I think, in terms of always happy to play from each color. And so that's going to go back to the the cards we talked about last week, those core commons, good uncommons, Um, because there's so many contextual cards that I think you want to have a sense of the core of each color before you start to dip into, well, if I'm doing this thing, can I support these other things? Like I opened a pool where I had, I think something in the range of like three necromasses and maybe two Talarian terrors, three Talarian terrors. I don't remember, but then I had no eerie soul tenders. I had no ways to self mill. And so figuring out that puzzle was very difficult as well. So you definitely want to think about, you know, core and context separately. Yes, absolutely. And that goes back to the draft log we just saw, right? Like once we had the Necromass, we wanted Soul Tender. And once Jason had the Vine Wall, he wanted Gibbering Barricade. Like I think if you can try to grok your sealed pool in terms of like groups of cards that work well together and how many of those cards you have, like, is this enough to make a shell of a deck? Or is this enough to make a viable pocket of synergy with these six cards that are going to play well together? Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of cards in the format that are powerful if you have other cards that support them. So like identifying those cards that are powerful if and then finding out if you have the if part in your sealed pool. Yeah, I'm planning to write an article for CFB Pro this week about a sealed pool. And rather than like a normal sealed pool article where you talk about, hey, I'm opening it and I'm these are my rares and let's talk about those. And like then leading to the optimal build, I'm more going to talk about the build that I landed on and why each card was what I selected, because I think that's honestly more helpful in this environment than the former because those those little nuances those last card selections i think are really interesting here i think you want to find the base two colors that lets you play the most of your best cards and i and when i say base two colors i think you want an eight eight minimum mana split for those two colors maybe you can get away with eight seven if like you know some of your early plays quote unquote for your secondary color are a couple removal spells like if you're primarily affecting the board with green cards then on turns two and three then you know you can have eight or nine forests and then maybe go down to seven but something in that range around eight for your base two colors yeah i have been fairly greedy with my mana yes in the controlling decks i think like the if you think about it as an aggro to control spectrum i think the more you're on the control end of the spectrum the greedier you can afford to be with your mana and to the point where there's a weird thing that happens where there's a lot of good cards that aren't double pipped like i don't think you can be greedy with the double pipped cards like if you're playing a talus lookout or whatever for example which is very good and sealed the two blue blue three two flyer that when it dies you get a look at the top two but yeah. one in your hand one in your graveyard like you have to be preferably nine islands minimum eight like you you can't be stretching into seven blue if you're running that card correct if you're running a lot of single colored cards like you can get pretty spicy with your mana bases i think yeah depending on what your fixing looks like right yes 
Yeah, I think so. And then I, you really just want to make sure you're aware of what your best cards, right? Your bombs, your good creatures, your good removal, all of your best two for ones like card draw spells, sagas, recursion, etc. Like the more of those effects you can jam into your deck responsibly, the more you're going to have wins in the sealed format. Yes, I think the biggest way to sum up the sealed format to me is two for ones, the format. Yes, like you're, you're trying to two for one your opponent to death. And if you don't have a pool that allows you to try to compete on that axis, then you should be trying to look for the thing that is the closest to a draft deck. Right. And so does your fixing allow you to get greedy with the build, then play as many best cards as possible? Does your fixing want you to be a different two-color base? So this is a really important thing to think about. You want to let your lands lead you to another possible build sometimes. So if, for example, you have five lands that touch white, but you weren't considering white as a base, see what happens if you do, because perhaps white as a base will open up a number of different splash possibilities for you to jam more good cards into your deck. Does it let you play more of your best cards? If yes, you want to to go down that route a little bit more. Right. There's something about this format that's a little atypical. Exactly what you were saying, where sometimes your colors that have the best cards don't offer you enough playables to actually make those two colors that have your best cards, your base colors, mm-hmm. especially when your, your best cards are single pips. So trying to decide on your base colors to allow you to play the maximum possible of good cards, even if you're ending up splashing a lot of those good cards, is pretty important. I agree. And then the last possibility, I think, is if your fixing doesn't line up with your base two colors, then you probably just have to be a two color deck. But you want to try to avoid playing fillerish cards, if at all possible. I had a pool uh, yesterday. It's Sick Brags opened Shouldred and uh, was it Leyline Binding, the two most expensive cards in the set on MTGO. Shout out to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, since ticks are such high stock on MTG, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I, so that when I go and play on it again in a year, I'll have some, <laughs> uh, I'll have some ticks over there. Um, but, but I had the, I had children a powerful build of black white. Probably got to about seventeen. 16 maybe cards I was happy with, but just like didn't have the fixing. And so filled out my deck with a couple tattered apparitions and a couple Shalai's acolytes. I was like, flying's good and sealed, right? These will be fine. And they definitely showed up more than they should, but in, in terms of in the games, but like, I and mean, that's going to happen sometimes. And I really felt the disappointment and the power level drop of playing those fillerish cards that I think in hindsight, I, I probably should have just tried to get a little greedy or maybe seen if black, white wasn't where I was supposed to be because it just didn't work out. So I think playing those fillerish cards is a real a recipe for disaster. Yes, I would say with the caveat that people are generally building completely irresponsible mana bases. So like I'm not advocating for bad mana bases, but as somebody that does tend towards building responsible mana bases, I think a good piece of advice, assuming that you are generally a responsible mana base builder, is if you have the choice between building a better mana base or building a greedier mana base with more impactful cards you should skew towards building a greedier mana base with less filler in this format. Yes, I think so. Because I think when you draw your your good cards and you're fixing, you'll be happy. When you draw the filler, like if you draw two filler cards and your opponent doesn't, I think that just means you're going to automatically lose most games. Yes, especially if your opponents just have a good control deck with good fixing, because those are going to be running around, right? Yeah. Like, so the, the filler is just a disaster. Like filler creatures are... So rough in this format. Have you faced much aggressive sealed decks in the set? I have, yeah. I've played a green... I just got opened a sealed pool that had a green red domain aggro deck. It was awesome. I just savagely crushed everyone. Oh, great. Uh, Okay. And I've played against some some aggro decks as well. And honestly, like the decks don't even have to be that aggressive to be aggressive if because so many of the, the pools you're incentivized to build are pretty on the end of the controlling spectrum that like if your opponent plays the white knight that's the 2-2 first striker into a banalish sleeper like and you don't have early interaction you're behind behind yeah i think you want your aggro deck still because i think i've fallen into this trap too thinking like oh i just i'll just put a bunch of two drops in this deck and i'll get under all these greedy tap land decks but the the good control decks have so many tools to catch back up there's incidental life gain there's just walls there's good blockers etc that 
if they even have an inkling of stabilization, they're going to pull ahead. Yes. So I think you want to be wary of building your aggressive decks if your card quality is high in that respect, but not building aggressive decks as a default. Like I feel like in other sealed formats, we would recommend, hey, build your most controlling deck, your greediest deck, and build your most aggressive deck and think about maybe good matchups if you're playing best of three and swapping between the two, whatever. Here, I just think like, if you've like, you'll know if you've got a good aggressive deck, but that good aggressive deck doesn't contain a bunch of derpy two mana two twos and two ones. Yes, like I like literally the red green deck I had was a red green draft deck. It had it all. It had the Gaia's Mites. It had the off color duels. It had colossal growth. It had the creatures with trample. Like it was just a draft deck. And I think again, harkening back to that thought of like selecting the cards for those final six, seven, eight slots is really where your win rate's going to go up. And I think you want to consider pockets of synergy. You want to consider consistency, overall strategy, ways to win, like what your deck does and what holes the deck may have when making those decisions, right? Do you need to like just throw a mountain and a grotto in your deck so you can have access to this lightning strike or this, uh, you know, uh, Hurloon Battle Ham, something like that to, to give yourself another removal spell, that kind of thing. Yeah, completely agree. So talk to me about DMU specifically. Yeah, this was me panic jotting down things before we started the classic 945 here. <laughs> show note edition. <laughs> Ethan's very unhappy when I do that, but uh, I was slammed this week, like I said. So I think DMU specifics in general, I think you're very unlikely to be base red unless you got gifted a pool with a good aggro draft deck that is red, whether it's white red with the heroic charges and you have all the pieces or like, you know, you're going to have that sometimes, but that is definitely the outlier. So I think figuring out which of white, black, green and blue is going to be your base colors should be something that's your kind of your default tendency. And I think which of those is your base colors is tricky in the best pools. Like if you have a lot of lands and you have a lot of the good commons, because there's a lot of cards that are packages and figuring out how to find the ideal combinations of packages of cards. There are just a lot of permutations of that in the pools that have fixing and depth in those four colors. Yeah, I think it honestly feels to me like there's kind of two different pools. It's like your Esper pools where you're going to be messing around with those colors. And there's just like the green greed pools where you've got the card quality plus the green base for fixing for domain stuff, etc. Yes, I have experienced that as well. I think another thing, and this is where pool disparity comes in, the, the wing mantle chaplain sweepstakes is just like a, a huge <laughs> negative in sealed, I think. So if you open wing mantle chaplain and even a couple of walls, I think you're supposed to do everything you possibly can to play wing mantle chaplain and those couple of walls. And then the, the pools where you get the chaplain and the ways to search it up and a couple other walls are just like ridiculous in power level compared to pools that don't have that. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I have luckily not experienced that on the other side of the battlefield, but I that totally makes sense to me. Oh, it's it's at least on arena. It was fairly common. I would say at least once a run, sometimes twice a run. I just conceded when my opponents played wing mantle. Wow. It's very unfortunate. Yeah, but I had in my most recent pool opened a wing mantle chaplain and only two other walls. No way to search up wing mantle chaplain, but I had some recursion and I was like, ah, I don't know if this is good enough because I was kind of stretching my mana for it and it was good enough. Like I had chaplain, two walls, a sketchy mana base and some recursion. And it was premium, premium, premium. So I think if you get it, you should be trying to play wing mantle chaplain. Agreed. And a couple other things I've jotted down, we've already touched on just playing all your two for ones. You possibly can if you're not aggressive. Things like Herborg repossession, Rexian espionage, etc. Just raw card advantage. And then just as a way to grok pools, I think you're trying to look for the grindiest two for one sealed deck control deck that you can build. And you're trying to look for the thing that looks as close to a draft archetype as possible. Yeah, agreed. One of my biggest pieces of advice for approaching the sealed format is to slow down. I, I definitely have this tendency myself a lot. You know, I play magic all the time. I'm very confident. And there are definitely times where I look at a pool and I go, well, this is clearly a you know blue black deck. I don't have anything else to build. Blue black is deep. Let's we play a couple of these rares, etc. Good on commons. And then just like, you know, take my first pass at a 22, 23 card deck, build the mana and say go. And I think that's really going to leave a lot of equity on the table. There's so much to unpack in the sealed format. As a multicolor set with all 10 color pairs viable, you're going to have lots of multicolor cards. You're going to have lands. You're going to have colorless fixing, green fixing, removal, pulling you in different directions. That maximization of your sealed pool, figuring out the best deck, decks available to you, card 
interaction synergy is going to take time. And I think you want to give yourself, especially if you're someone who's like, I'm doing one run of the arena open day one, or I'm doing two runs. Give yourself a good, nice, like, 30 minutes to really mess around with your pool. That's why normally I'm like, eh, sealed deck.tech could take or leave it for sealed. I've really found it helpful to be able to do that for this format. Well, and on that note, have you found any sort of tension when you're trying to maximize your pool with fixing and the fixing that takes up slots? Like if you're running a floor first vine wall or the scout the wilderness, I mean, those are like knocks against your deck when you're in the control mirrors, right? So as you're trying to figure out the optimal configuration, like if you're having to run cards in your 23 dedicated to fixing, that's less two for ones you can jam in. That's less early defense. That's less interaction you can jam in. Right. Specifically, let's talk about Floriferous Vinewall as a card that I'm not really happy with putting in a deck on face value. Like because I guess it replaces itself with a land, but it's not necessarily the land that you want. So like you can't really fully count it as fixing. You count it like, you know, a fifth of fixing or something, a fourth of fixing. Um I don't want to play that. Ideally, I'm a base green black deck because I know at least in black, I'll have ways to utilize that card, right? I'll certainly maybe have things that care about creatures in the graveyard. So when it dies, I'm happy with it. Maybe I have a bone splinters. And so I have sack fodder there or I'm playing gibbering barricade. So I have sack fodder there. Um, but Vinewall on its own, you know, salvage mana worker on its own. When you play that card, you are ultimately when the dust settles, once it's done doing its thing, you're down a card. And in these long games, which you're mostly going to have, I think you're mostly going to be playing against value greed pile decks, control decks, whatever you want to call them. I think being down those resources, playing Scout the Wilderness without getting the one ones, and even with getting the one ones, is that even that good? What do you do with the one ones after you get them in play? All that stuff. Like if you're not really maximizing those cards, you can find yourself down resources. Right. And that's why it's so important for your pool to open lands, I think, because yes. then you you don't have to dedicate those slots in your 23 to fixing. The other thing I want to pick your brain about is the amount of removal you're running versus the amount of two for ones, because I have found that there's a, a bit of a diminishing returns on removal. Like you definitely have to be able to interact and in things. But if your opponent is all two for ones and you're all one for ones, eventually they out card advantage you. So in, in some ways, the Frexian espionages of the world are almost as, if not more important than your removal. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be able to interact and really be aware of the good interaction versus the whatever interaction, right? Like Lightning Strike and Battle Him and Tribute to Urborg, etc. are certainly better than, I don't know, just random clunky kill spells. Jaya's Inferno and the like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where Jaya's Inferno might get a bump in other sealed formats, it definitely does not. It is not on my radar at all in this sealed format. Yeah. All right. So that's going to take us on to just chatting quickly about cards that get better in sealed and then maybe a quick note on sideboarding um, for folks playing best of three on day one. Cards that get better in sealed. We've got aggressive sabotage up first is the two and a black target player discards two cards. And then if you kick it for red, they lose three life. Again, like all these little two for ones, every piece of cardboard matters. So if you're drawing two cards, that's good. If your opponent's discarding two cards, that's good. Yeah. And I think aggressive sabotage specifically, your your opponents are going to be trying to save their Urborg repossessions to rebuy their two best things or, you know, to really re able to rebuy a premium thing. So nabbing their last two cards that they are saving with aggressive sabotage really matters. And I think also you generally want to play your lands out, but being aware of, okay, I want to maybe hold an extra land or two, depending on the situation, if your opponent is black, I think is also something to be on your radar. For sure. And I, I definitely think that, you know, firing this off at any point, like usually there's sometimes where you want to like save your mind rots for, you know, how want I get their last two cards? I think just to your point of like every card matters. And so I think if this is your turn three play, that's also fine. And I think main decking this is also fine. Oh yeah, completely agree. I don't know that I'm necessarily like actively looking to main deck it, but certainly fine to run. Right. Yeah, I think that that's where I'm at. Like, if this is one of your whatever, 15 through 23 cards that you're putting in, I think that's fine. Yes. Next up is Air Ties Scorn. This is the one blue blue counter spell that costs one and a blue if your opponent double spelled that turn. This is just a premium card in sealed. If you're blue, you should be running Air Ties Scorn. Mm-hmm. Similarly, Pilfer, one and a black. That's the Thoughtseize variant. They reveal their hand. You choose an on-land card. They discard it. Just like counterspells get better. This hand disruption gets better. Yes, you're investing mana with the hand disruption to remove something from their hand that they're not. But by preventing something from hitting the battlefield or 
from resolving, you're often preventing a two for one or greater from happening, which is good. Right. Pilford, I think you're actively looking to play. Pilfer is broken in the sealed format, I think, in the control mirrors. Yeah. Next up, we have Talus Lookout, which might just be better in draft two now that people are taking Talarian Terrors appropriately. Uh, this is the two blue blue three two flyer. When it dies, you look at the top two cards of your library take one into your hand and one into your graveyard. I think if you're in blue, you're just playing every copy of Talus Lookout you have, and this might actively pull me into base blue at this point. Yeah, I think certainly very good in sealed. I completely agree. Yeah. We've talked about two for ones, Shadow Prophecy and Phyrexian Espionage, and Phyrexian Espionage being kicked in sealed too. Mm. Like there are just card advantage wars in sealed. And I think yeah. if you if you get a lot of espionages and other two for ones, you're just on Operation Don't Die. I haven't said this exactly yet, but I think I should. I'm hoping to be blue in the sealed format. And one of the reasons is espionage. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely agree. That's where so many of the good two for ones lie. That's where impulse is. So you can just dig towards your best cards. Like it's just really good to be blue in this format. Right. And if you're in the Lords of Limited Discord, I think the the flavor du jour this week, as far as like the hot draft deck, is like this blue, black based grindy control deck with Urborg repossessions and like that draft deck that people are talking about. Those are all the cards you want to hope to open in your sealed. And that's basically the type of deck you're also hoping to build in sealed. Absolutely. Uh, I've liked Snare Spinner out of the sideboard against, you know, some aggressive flying strategies being able to sort of hold off the Griffin Protectors or whatever. Certainly hold off Mesa Cavaliers, but I've definitely sided that in. And to that point, a little bit more Broken Wings, I actually think might be fine main deck fodder in this format. I would buy that. I think based on my games, I was very salty when I got got by main deck (laughs) Broken Wings, but... I think it's reasonable, again, in that 15 to 23 card range, if it's showing up things you're likely to be weak to. Yeah. Next up is Banalish Sleeper. This card is so much better in sealed yeah. than it is in draft. It's incredible in sealed. Like, I think one of the reasons to be base white, if you can kick it. So one and a white for the 3-1. That card already is just better in sealed because there's so much less likely that people are going to be running early cards that punish it. And a lot of times people are missing their two drop, their three drop. It just clocks damage early on. And then also if you can kick it and you're doing the white go wide thing, like just get ahead, stay ahead with this as far as, you know, if your opponent's first play in sealed is like their four drops that they're hoping to stabilize and block with, and then you kick Banalish Sleeper, it's just game over. This card is very much improved in sealed. When you like land a Talarian Terror and feel like untouchable, and then your opponent kicks a Banalish Sleeper, it's so sad. <laughs> well, and I think people are just playing less creatures in general yeah. in sealed too. Well, so because this, you don't like, want to play all the filler cards. Right. So this is often nabbing a real card and then also happens to be in the colors where there's lots of ways to recur this. So you can just keep getting your opponent with Banalish Sleeper over and over. And I have been on both the giving and the receiving end of that. I think this might be the single most improved card in sealed. Ooh, and that's that's a take. Probably, I like probably it. good in draft, but I, I love sleeper in sealed. I agree. Next up is destroy evil, the one in a white instant destroy target creature with toughness four or greater or destroy target enchantment. This is a house. This is like a reason to play white. This is very good splashable removal. Um, this card gets it's good in draft, better in sealed, I think. Yes. And to go back to banala sleeper, that's a card that's premium in the decks that aren't like the two for one dot deck decks. Like it's it's a card that would incentivize you to maybe not play that strategy. Or if you don't get that strategy, it's one of the best ways to prey on those style of decks. Right, one of the better aggressive. I know I, I know I know I know I'm the I, all I talk about is black white. But I do think one of the better aggressive streamlined two color decks in sealed is black white. And that's partially off the back of Banalish Sleeper. Yes. Next up, I mean, shore up and take up the shield are great. I think negate is main deckable in sealed. Everybody's playing removal. Everybody's playing sagas. Like everybody's playing their card draw spells. Negate is going to be good for you in sealed. Yes, I think you should main deck every copy of negate you get. And I think almost a pull into blue. And I think shore up actually gets a little less good in sealed. Because you have fewer creatures or what? You have fewer creatures. And like, ideally, you're just playing cards like or repossession to rebuy two of them like shore up being a one for one yeah like a situational one for one i think is is less good in sealed than it is in draft because you're less likely to be able to like streamline turn out your Telerian terror and like leverage the tempo of shore up because yeah part of the reason shore up is so powerful is because of the tempo advantage it provides yeah i get that i think that's fair uh next up we've got gibbering barricade the the 2b24 wall that lets you pay two and a black to sacrifice a creature to gain a life draw card and i think uh, also in tandem with that 
just non-wingmantle chaplain walls packages if you get shield wall sentinel to search up a wall package so maybe it's the three three that makes your opponent lose life maybe it's the coral colony that lets you threaten to mill out your opponent but if you get the the wall searcher i think those packages even if you don't have wingmantle chaplain just the fact that you're getting cardboard is good i've got uh, maybe our only contentious card on this list i've got battlefly swarm on this list this is a single black for a one one flyer and you can pay black to give it death touch I think most people are playing a lot of those signpost cards, the 5-5 with Ward 2, the 5-5 with Death Touch, the 4-4 with Vigilance. And it's nice to have a cheap way to trade off with those cards. I have found Battlefly Swarm to largely be irrelevant for my opponents. I have not played it yet, but in general, it doesn't pressure me enough when I've been playing against it. And then, yes, maybe it trades with my Tolarian Terror, but then I cast Urborg Repossession and rebuy a Tolarian Terror and another thing. And like you just get overwhelmed. Like it doesn't solve your problems against the the good control decks that are two for wanting you to death. No, I mean, but like much like a removal spell doesn't solve your problems. But like this does, I, I think this is, in, in general, in draft, I would think about this card as I hope to never play. And in sealed, I think this is, again, if you're thinking about those that 16 through 23 slots, that Battlefly Swarm is something that I have shifted my mentality from that goes in my never play category to does this shore up a hole in my deck here in this sort of situational pocket of synergy style of thing I'm looking for? Yeah, I have not played sealed quite as much as you, but I think it is still firmly in my hope to never play camp. Well, fine. <laughs> like, what, what can I say, you know? Yeah, I think we just disagree, and that's totally fine. Uh, next up, we've got Urborg Repossession. This is, I think, probably the most important card to open in Sealed, multiple yeah. copies of. Uh, this is Black, return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. If you kick it for uh, one and a G, you get a return, a creature, and a permanent, which is also super relevant, and then gain two life, whether you kick it or not. Yeah, and this card is insane. I mean, you, if you are hoping to play every copy of this that you open, even if you're not base black, like you splash this as your only black card for sure. Um, it's just phenomenal. Yes, you stretch your mana base to splash this. Like this, mm-hmm. this is a card that's worth like playing two off-color swamps for. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Uh, you've been championing Braid's Frightful Return in draft, and I have played with and against it in sealed, and it's just impressive in sealed. It's just a two-for-one, and I think you're supposed to play every two for one you can in sealed sometimes a three for one i mean if you're sacking a token or a cult conscript for chapter one and so you get a card out of their hand you get a creature back and then you are likely getting to draw a card because again like going back to people not having when everyone's playing their good or best stuff they don't have things that they want to sacrifice right they don't have derpy two mana cards they've got things that really matter and so them sacrificing stuff is often uh, not where they want to be. Yeah, I've loved Braid's Frightful Return and Sealed. Thrill of Possibility, uh, I think, is a card that, you know, plays in the best blue-red spells deck in draft. And I think can be, you know, if you end up in a deck that just needs a little bit more velocity, if you find yourself in a spot where you're playing 18 lands, which I think is not crazy, given that you're often stretching your mana base. You know, if you're... If your base red because of whatever your gold cards or your rares or your removal, I think Thrill of Possibility goes up a notch in uh, in Sealed. Yes. And that point about playing 18 lands, I think, is huge as well. Like if your choice is like stretch my mana base a little bit and run 18 lands or play a more functional mana base and run 17 lands, like stretch your mana base and run 18 lands and play better cards. Yeah, I think so. Next up, we've got Scout the Wilderness. Again, I think this is an option for you for fixing. I think you're hoping to do it with lands, but if Scout the Wilderness turns on you being able to play several other powerful cards, it is definitely worth the slot in your 23. And one of the things we haven't talked about is like stuff like Scout then being like, were you planning to run a basic? Then Scout gets better. Were you splashing without a basic? Scout is worse. Like, does it mean you do now have to run 18 lands, et cetera? Like, these are all all these little knobs you have to turn and sealed. Um, but Scout the Wilderness, I think it can be part of that puzzle. Right. And I think if you're scouting, you're hoping to not run 18 because then all of a sudden you're heading towards lots of air in your deck. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like if you're running 18 lands plus like scout, weather seed treaty, floriferous vine wall, you are going to flood like you're just going to do it. So you better have mana sinks. You better have a ton of card draw like a you know a codex or something like continuous card draw ways to really pull yourself through that kind of flood. Yep. Next up, we have Niel, Avazoa Aeronaut. This is the 2G blue 2-4 with flying and has domain when it hits your opponent. You look at the top 
X cards of your library where X is your domain. You can put one on top and the rest on the bottom. But if your domain is five, you draw that card instead. I mean, even without full domain, this card just is a real problem. If you assume everybody's playing their best cards, which they should be, this just like can't hit you because they're just then impulsing <laughs> for their and they're just like, okay, I'm gonna play my best card next, or I'm never gonna flood because every card I draw after this is action and the best action I see. Niall is uh, is pretty busto, I think. Yes, have also been very impressed by Niall. And another one, another kind of clunkish card in drafts are Ojanin, Sign of Afrava. This 3G white 4-4 four, four, that when it becomes tapped, you put a plus plus one counter on your team equal to uh, toughness greater than the domain equal to your domain. I don't know. You know what Zarojanin does. <laughs> you started off so well. And then, then it yeah, just I fell, lost, fell apart. I was, I was just leaking confidence the whole time. So, so talk to me about this card. I do think this card and other cards like in this vein, like an Elfheim Worm or a Magnagoss Sentry or a Yavimaya Sojourner, just like green cards with stats get a little better in sealed. And then specifically, Zar threatening to pump two or three other creatures and turn them into much more relevant bodies is just a problematic card. It's scary on the other side of the battlefield. I think that's a really good point about like 4-6 specifically. I do think Yavimaya Sojourner, which you have uh, at the end of this list, has really impressed me, especially if I'm doing something with the Tolarian Terror. And then they just play a 4-6. And I'm like, what? what am I supposed to do now? Like, sure, I'm not losing. Like, we're in this sort of stalemate, but like, then maybe and then I'm worried about decking, honestly, which has come up <laughs> certainly more than once for me of just like, uh oh, am I going to I got to keep an eye on my library and their library? Are they going to cast espionage or are they going to choose to draw off this effect? And then am I then behind in the decking race? And that's good, et cetera. Like, oof, it's uh, it's rough out there. Yeah, I think Joda's Codex, certainly great, certainly a reason to try and stretch your mana for domain. If you can activate this for one or zero, that's incredible. And I think also Crystal Grotto for fixing your mana is phenomenal if you're pushing down. You know, you talked about the importance of opening lands. I think a Grotto really opens up a lot of options for you. Yeah, I normally would not be championing Grotto, but I agree. Grotto is very important in the sealed format, and I think speaks to what we're advising, which is stretching your mana, which is weird advice to give as a content creator, because normally people want to do that too much. But I, I really do think that is a format defining thing about the sealed format is that you have to play your best cards and all your cards have to matter. And what that means for your mana base is what that means for your mana base. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I think like you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Exactly. Next up, we've got Maria's Outrider. This is four and a red for the four fourth reach. And when ETBs, it domes your opponent equal to the number of basics you have. Card is just very good in draft. I think it's even better in sealed. I agree. Uh, just a quick note on sideboarding. So on day one, you will have the option to play best of one or best of three. If you want to just make day two, if that's all you care about, I think you want to play best of one. That's going to give you the highest chance to make day two. If you're a little bit more conservative and you're you maybe you're free to play and you want to make sure that you're getting the maximum value for the events, I think best of three is better for you. Um, but you obviously can't give a loss. You just have to go 4-0 in those. But in the rare case that you do have two different viable decks in best of three, make sure you have them built and saved because in, in like a sealed deck or JPEG format so that if you do want a swap, which I have done before. You know, I did this for my uh, play-in qualifier for the Arena Championship qualifier. Um, I have definitely deck swapped from a blue-black control deck into a black-white aggro deck, and you only have like two-ish minutes to do that. So you got to make sure you've you're ready to click all those cards in. You have the have to have the mana base built, everything all set to go for uh, siding in. And what would make you want to swap decks? Well. I think play versus draw is a consideration, not for a full deck swap necessarily, um, but certainly for individual cards. You want to think about, well, I'm on the draw. Maybe you go down. Sometimes on the draw, I'll go down a clunky-ish uh, two-for-one. Like if, I've got, if I'm playing like Shadow Prophecy and Espionage, maybe I'll cut that Shadow Prophecy on the draw because if that's my first play of the game, that could be a little awkward for you. Or maybe you're against a more aggressive deck, so you need to side in some fillerish two-drops and cut some of your non-board-affecting cards like those card draw spells. Talked about the value of hand disruption going up, counter spells going up, creature sizing going up. I had this <laughs> one of the reasons I had this deck swap with this blue black control deck into black white was my blue black control deck was built around three Talarian terrors and just like getting those out and those being a problem for my opponent. And then in the last round, I faced Jund mana cost reduction creatures. So they had five five tramplers, five five death touches, and four sixes, which really held off the terrors. 
Plus, they had the red rare sweeper that deals five to everything. So I was like, Ooh. my deck is built around getting these five fives out, and my opponent doesn't care about those at all. I got to find a different strategy. So again, just really thinking critically in the matchup. It's one of the tough things about sealed, especially when you're playing best of three, is that not only in your first game of the match do you have to be thinking about beating your opponent with your deck, you also have to be thinking about sideboarding. You have to be thinking about okay, I saw that, I saw that, I saw that. Luckily in Arena, you can, you know, while you're sideboarding, go click view battlefield and look at everything. On MTGO, I really missed that feature <laughs> uh, in this past week when I was playing on there. But being able to just sort of, you know, think about what you're facing and what cards in your pool or maybe a different deck in your pool might be better suited for what your opponent is going to do. Yeah, I think one of the things you mentioned too when you were talking about play draw considerations, the when you're on the draw, like, having a draw to be your first play on turn three that's come up for me a lot on arena as well you don't have the choice to choose play draw and best of one but just when you're building those decks with all these two for ones like making sure you have a way to get something out of your hand early to be able to start casting those two for ones for value has been fairly relevant i think yeah yeah and so so maybe you know if you're running a bunch of those maybe you do throw in a couple more fillers, two drops. I don't know. What do you think the solution is there? I don't know that there's an answer. It's just, I have experienced that quite a bit. Yeah. And it has been a problem. Don't, don't necessarily have the answer. Haven't played enough sealed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's it. That's all. That's all I got. Ben, any final thoughts about uh, sealed before we get that sweet $2,500 check next weekend? I mean, I will absolutely be playing best of one because day Mm -hmm. two is draft, right? Like it's not like you need to learn best of three to be able to compete on on day two. So I'm going to be jamming best of one until I get there. Hopefully as much as I possibly can on a marching band Saturday. We'll see. Might be a long weekend next weekend as well with me staying up late, depending on how many bullets it takes uh, to qualify. But I am very much looking forward to the day two draft. I feel like I have a good handle on the format and I am excited to hopefully get a chance to compete for $2,500. Me too. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to I think this is going to be the first arena open in like three sets, four sets that I get to actually play at home. I feel like I've been out <laughs> of town. Not on mobile? <laughs> yeah, not on my phone, not out of town for every single other one. So I'm definitely looking forward to that and uh, excited to just like be in my own space, have a nice cup of coffee, sit down and, and crush some sealed. Yeah, and good luck to all you folks out there that are going to be jamming as well. Hopefully this episode helped you out. Absolutely. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro to read the limited content that me, Ben, and Alex, and all the other pros over there are putting out, please use code LOL at checkout when you do to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.